Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, and I am super excited to have Hunter Schultz back on our podcast today. He is going to be discussing direct primary care and how it can prevent suicides and mass shootings. I will tell you, we talked a little bit about it off air last time when he was um, on our podcast and maybe even on air. I can't really remember, but I talked so much to him, so many good things. I could talk to talk for hours with Hunter. Um, but I was a little bit skeptical. I'm like, well, how could, how could a direct primary care relationship with, with a uh, healthcare provider or doctor prevent mass shootings and suicides? Well, you'll want to tune in till you want to tune in this show and watch it all the way through because he is going to tell us how. So without further ado, Hunter, welcome to our show. Sean, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Yeah, so I am um, excited to have you on. We can actually stream live today because you have better internet because you moved yes. to, to suburbia outside of Panama City, right? That's right. I'm in Panama City, the Republic of Panama, in, in what is known as the reverted areas, specifically Diablo. <laughs> and it's, where, it's basically the, the old canal zone. And, that's, and it was when the canal zone was turned over, they became the reverted areas. That's what they're known as. And uh, so we moved from the inner city to, uh, to the suburbs, and I have fiber optics. So the internet connection is far stable, far more stable. Love it. I love it. So, <clears throat> so we discussed so many things last time you were on our podcast. Thank you. And you g- gave me so many referrals to other podcast guests. I thank you for that. I'm always looking for... Um, people to, to share the word and educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health care. So, um, but this time let's talk about uh, direct primary care and how it can prevent mass shootings and um, suicides. Yeah, that's, you know, I just published an article this morning on media.com uh, about this subject. And it's from, the article stems from personal experience on June 31st, my youngest nephew committed suicide, which shocked the family, as it does most families. And uh, it, was, it was quite a gut punch. And usually you ask, why? A lot. And this was out of the blue. This was, this was similar to physician suicides, where it's a snap decision. There was no end-of-life plan. There was no... Uh, real telltales of what's going on. But he, uh, he committed suicide, and I got a, a, a text message the next morning from my oldest nephew, Jason, and, and the text message began with, did mom reach out to you last night? And I knew right away, you know, something's not right, that he just doesn't do that. And I said, what happened? And he said, Patrick is gone. And uh, I thought, oh, God, why? So anyway, that's how the the article begins. And about four days later, July 4th, Highland Park, Illinois, was the scene of a targeted mass shooting. A young young guy acted out on his disturbed thoughts and and killed and wounded a, a lot of people. And as it so happens, my parents grew up in Highland Park. They lived there for many years, and I grew up four suburbs south. So this was yet another gut punch. How on earth could that happen on Chicago's North Shore? 
All my North Shore friends were like, how the heck does this happen? And you've heard, you've heard this in other mass shootings, the same comments. Uh, how does this happen here? So I started thinking a few days later, there are things that were kind of roaming around in my head and I was connecting dots and the article is actually a way for me to process and, and work through it. And something my dad used to tell me a long time ago, his son, when something bad happens, ask yourself what's good about it. Well, there's nothing good about these things, but I refined that question to what good can come from it. And there were things that I knew from, my, from a long time ago, conversations with uh, physicians, experts about primary care and, and uh, um, how, things, how things work in the right system. And I remember after a school shooting back in, I think it was 2015 or 16, somewhere along those lines, maybe it was 17, uh, I wrote one of my medical mentors, Dr. Steve Schimpf, who wrote Fixing the Primary Care Crisis, an excellent book. Um, and, and it's one of the first that I recommend, even over my, my book, The Expat Health Guide. And I asked Steve, you know, he already, we'd already conversed about direct primary care and how, how good it was. He has it. I mean, he has it up there, which is, you know, he loves it. And this is a man who is the CEO of the University of Maryland's Medical Center. So he's seen both the care side and the admin side. So he knows what he's talking about. And I made the observation. I wanted to hear, wanted to hear his thoughts that with today's broken primary care system, docs don't have the t- primary care doctors don't have the time to do what's necessary just to listen to the patient, get to know them. They don't have the relationship either. It's take a number. And I said that that can't be good for screening people with mental mental health issues and behavioral health issues. It, we've lost an incredible tripwire in in over decades of, of primary care being cannibalized. And he wrote back and he agreed. He said, yeah, it's quite easy for primary care doctors to pick up on things if they have their time and the relationship and that, that trust factor. And that's when I knew something, you know, we have a big element missing. And so the article was designed to, it's more of a short course. It's not a typical five-minute medium.com article. It's about a 20-minute read. But in there, I give the, the backstory of what happened because it's important to understand what happened to primary care over these many decades. And it used to be that, that primary care docs were family docs, and they knew the family. They knew the interactions. They could tell the parent of a child, you know, I think we need to keep an eye on Junior here. Or they could say to a husband and wife, you know, things aren't looking too good for you guys. You're, you're not, you're not, you're, your married life isn't as smooth as it should be. Maybe, maybe some family counseling here is good for you. And in today's system, you can just imagine, you know, with eight minutes and out the door, you can imagine the reception that'll get on the part of the patient saying, you don't know us, what are you talking about? And that's the exact point. They don't know you. And that's a sad point. So each of these events, the suicide, uh, my, my Patrick's suicide and, and the Highland Park shooting, they, they both have timelines. And that's 
how detectives, you see them on detective show, how they um, establish who is where and what is what. And, and they only go back just so far. And the further back you go, the murkier, the murkier it gets. And sadly, what's back there, and they converge. These two timelines converge at primary care, if you know what to look for. Because had both, both Patrick had great primary care, which he didn't, he was in the old system. And if this young kid, I'm not going to use his name, in Highland Park, had better, a better primary care relationship, the odds go way down that these violent acts, which both of them were violent acts, uh, you, you, you stand a much better chance of reducing the possibility that they will act out on whatever it is going through their minds. So this is the issue, that today what we do is, is we focus on the weapon. We focus on the instrument of death. Let's outlaw them. And, and you hear both sides of the debate. And, and it's, you know, we got to outlaw the assault weapons. And the gun owners will say, well, what about the person pulling the trigger? What about that? You know, I mean, guns don't pull triggers by themselves. What are we doing? You know, we need more mental institutions. Or, we, well, that's still a lot further along in the timeline. Okay, you're going you're gonna to put someone in an institution. Why not go further back in the timeline when you've got a way of, of dealing with it before it gets out of hand, before it becomes a big issue? And that's the point of the article is, is really to say, you know what? Stop looking at this, at, at the immediate nature of things and go further back. And I think long term, that'll, I know, and the doctors know, and the research, which I point out in the article, is showing a definite connection between better primary care and lower suicide rates, lower violent, uh, violent acts. So that was the purpose of the article, and I think something good came out of, out of Patrick's death. And, and, uh, and it was a little, a little bit of catharsis for me, because this has been rolling around in my head. I've, I've known this for a long time. There's a connection. And every doctor that I talk to, every direct primary care doctor that I talk to, same thing. Whoops, had a little power interruption there. <laughs> So the, the internet's great, but the power goes <laughs> yeah, out. Right. Not, not so stable. <laughs> so so the, the, the connection's there, and they all say, oh, yeah. The, the DPC docs all say it's so easy for us. It's so easy for us to see it because as, as long as you have that relationship over time, it's not an immediate thing. This is not an immediate fix-it thing. This is over time. And once you get that sorted... It's a, we know the other benefits to primary care, great primary care, which delivered by DPC enables all the benchmarks for outstanding care. I, I'm, I'm, I smile, and you smile too. I know you do because you can see what's in front of us. You know what's possible. And that's a good thing, as Martha would say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and, it, and it is all about a relationship. Um, and like you say, it does take time. It's not something you're going to do in an eight-minute appointment one time. And even with a direct primary care doctor, you're not going to do it, you know, the first appointment. You, you need They need to build a relationship with somebody. And that's what doctors used to do in the old days. They would take care of families and they would know the family. Now, in the traditional system, it's hard to find a doctor that stays at the same location for more than two years. 
Right, right, exactly. And and the, and what's forcing this too, or is insurance? When employers, where most people have their insurance through employers, they are uh, they change their benefit plan, which means you have to get a new doctor. Yeah. And there goes the continuity of care right out the window. I, really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is not good health care. Uh, you, you've, you finally have a relationship maybe built up over a couple of years and three or four appointments. And then, oh, you're no longer in my network. See ya. What on earth are we doing? That's, that's, a, that's, a, hall, that's a benchmark. That's one of critical benchmark is continuity of care. Without that, you don't have good health care. There's no one connecting the dots either. So, you know, we all need to take a, as hard as, it is, as, hard as, this, as this is, and I, and I sense it's frustration. There's an enormous amount of frustration. So why did this happen again? And, and why did the, another school shooting, and we're having the same conversations, and everyone gets frustrated. It's because you're not going to the root of the problem. You really aren't going to addressing the mental health early on before it becomes an issue, way before that, even before at the prospective parent level. What an interesting thought that is. Maybe you guys should hold off having kids. But if you don't have the right relationship as a physician to be able to say that, and, and the patient, the, the couple knowing you've got They've got your back. I mean, the doc has your back. They're in, that doc is in your corner. They're there for you. They have to know that in advance so that they can deliver, you know, that news of, guys, I think maybe some counseling here before you, before you go at it um, right. and, and have kids. It's, it's really time for you to seek some counseling and, 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 and make sure that you guys are communicating and you can handle parenthood because that's a whole different ballgame. And, and that's, again, the, the frustration is most Americans, they don't know about this. It's an unknown unknown, which is horrible. It's just horrible. And, and I get it. I get the frustration. And, but the good news is the solution's out there. It's being done every day, and it's simple. That's right. And that throws people too, doesn't it? They don't believe it. Can't be that easy. It's simple and affordable. Yes, exactly. Very affordable. In mm -hmm. fact, more affordable than, than the traditional system. We've talked about that many times. Sure, sure, yeah. So you had some comments about the FBI in the article. Will you uh, talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I... I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the backstory behind it, and that is that um, I'm on uh, a State Department uh, security group called OSAC, and we have regular meetings, and, and I get to meet with security professionals, and, and I've, had, I've had active shooter training from one of the Benghazi 13 uh, heroes, which was really interesting. And I've also had a uh, most recent seminar at the U.S. Embassy here was with Dr. Uh, Russell Palorea, who ran the Behavioral Analysis Unit for the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, otherwise known as NCIS, like the TV show. And Dr. Russ did a great job in, in, in teaching us that community-based threat assessment 
is the way to go. And, and it means you're, you're looping in more of the community. Instead of just the security office and the police, you're looping in coaches, you're looping in um, counselors, you're, you're obviously looping in teachers, but you're going further back on the timeline, so to speak. You're reaching further back and you're looking for clues, telltales, because all of them have telltales, whether it's suicide, um, most suicides. And the active shooter, the, the violent uh, perpetrator, they leave telltales. Many of them just signal their intent just beforehand uh, or, or days and, and maybe even weeks. The point is that there are, there are ways of, of uh, identifying them. So the FBI plan is, is the one that I asked him, okay, so which plan is out there that includes the community-based threat assessment. And he said the FBI plan. I thought, okay, great. So the FBI plan, you go through this and, and you'll see the disconnect with primary care here. You go through, the, you go through the, the plan and it doesn't make any mention really of primary care. And I asked Russ about this in, in the seminar, the first break, I went up to him and I said, what about primary care docs? Where, where are they in this picture? And he said, they don't want to do it. And I thought, okay. And time was short. I didn't want to get into it. I knew why. It's because they don't have the time. They're seeing 30, 40 patients a day, 2 to 3% of their, their panel size, the, amount of, the number of patients they have. So they don't have the time. It's, it's 15 minutes. And by the time they're done, they're beat. They're, they're done for the day. They're not going to be at their best going to a meeting about threat assessment. So I, I said, okay, fine, let me send you something. So I sent him a copy of my book, and I said, the key here are direct primary care doctors. They have the time to go to these meetings, educate people there on top of the parents on why this is important. And then I, I, I also saw something in there. I, I didn't see something in there that I knew you'd appreciate. <laughs> and I, I knew from from a conversation with a community pharmacist uh, in Florida, and she enlightened me about the relationships with uh, the customers. And I remember my pharmacist growing up, and Bob, Bob Stensby was his name. And he knew everyone. I mean, he was, he was, he knew, you know, he knew me. And when I, when I remember having a prescription that he, he was like, hmm, this isn't, this, something's not right here. Let me call, or I don't think something's right here, but let me double check. So he called my physician. The physician said, no, that's what I want, and it's fine. Said, okay, good, you know. But he knew enough to double check, and he knew me and knew, you know, wait, age. I don't know what it was, but he saw something that he wanted to double check, you know, because he knew me, and he knew my family. And as it turns out, you do the research, and I included some of the links. Community pharmacists are among the most approachable healthcare professionals in the system. In any system. Yep. And the research coming out of England and Canada and the U.S. shows that community pharmacists play an important role in preventing suicides. And because they have the, the uh, family connection, if you will, they have a family view, they're able to spot changes in behavior, too. Community pharmacists are not in the FBI plan, <laughs> So in the article, I boldly suggested, <laughs> humbly but boldly, 
that we ought to include direct primary care doctors and community pharmacists in the assessment groups, both suicide and uh, behavioral threat assessment teams. And in the article, I also have a few questions that, that how to get involved. So asking, okay, who's on the team is a good way to start. And now you know what to listen for. Do we have a, a community pharmacist on our team? Do we have a primary care physician, let alone a direct primary care physician? We know the ideal, the benchmark are those two things. Get as close to that as possible. So again, I sent that on to Russ. He's a, bitty, bu- he's a very busy guy, and I don't expect to hear back from him anytime soon. But uh, I told him I, I made kind of a bold, bold uh, suggestion. We'll see what he, we'll see what he says when, when he gets back to me. But uh, yeah, I think uh, there's, so many, there's so many things that we could be doing but we're wrapped up in the blame game. We're wrapped up in pointing fingers and it's becoming clickbait and it's a sporting event. And it's not really doing the kind of, of real change that we need. And by, by using this, these two events, the suicide and the, and the, and the mass shooting, as a, uh, a focal point to put a spotlight on going further back to primary care and, and, and how do we get that right, using direct primary care as the standard of excellence, we're going to do a lot more to prevent these problems and these challenges and the tragedies uh, than, than outlawing drugs or outlawing you know, certain types of weapons. Yeah. We really are going to go get rid of the frustration. People will go, okay, now we have a plan. And hey, this isn't that difficult. It isn't easy. But it's not hugely difficult. Right. And, and it's about being proactive instead of reactive. Yes. You know, because if Absolutely. you're, yeah, if you're reactive in situations like that, you're already way behind. And, you know, so you want to prevent the thing. So you got to be proactive. Yep. That's actually one of the, one of the questions that I would ask a school board is, is our, our, are the plans that we have either suicide or threat assessment, are they, Passive or are they active? Yeah. And the FBI clearly states the best, the best plans are the ones that are uh, active, proactive. And that's a huge, that's a huge deal. So, uh, and it makes sense. But how are you going to be proactive when, you know, you don't have a physician involved? And, and then by extension, a community pharmacist. Those are two valuable members, unused, untapped, valuable members of the team. Yeah. And as a community pharmacist myself, I, you know, we've talked for years as a group of pharmacists that we are the most accessible healthcare professional in the community. I mean, by, by far and away, because people can just walk in or they can call us, um, you know, they don't typically need to make an appointment. So, um, and that's how you get to know people and build that relationship. So, um, yeah, I, I, I totally echo what you're saying. Now, you said you had some statistics about how direct primary care does some, you have some numbers to share possibly about how it does um, prevent some of these things. Is that correct? There are no, there's no research about direct primary care, but there's new research coming out uh, how, and it's from England, that 
uh, and they had their general practitioners, the GPs over there, how uh, the research is showing that it has an effect, a positive effect, and it has a lot of impact on preventing violence. And I include a link in the article to it. And that's, that's such an important point, and I hope more research, I hope it sparks more research, because we need it. But the glimmer of hope is there, and, and all it takes is the first research project, the first research uh, to show that primary, addressing uh, behavioral health and primary care um, has, a, has a big impact. I think that's, that's brilliant, and, and we need it. Yeah, for sure. So as we're uh, wrapping this up, tell us how people can find this article that we were talking about. Well, it'll be, I, I'll, the, the link should be in the description of this video on YouTube when it hits YouTube. Uh, they can go on to medium.com and they don't have to be, I don't think they have to be a member. They, they get like five free articles a month if memory serves. But they just go on medium.com. They can, they can search on medium for my name and there, there'll be a list of articles and I'll pin it to the top of my profile too so that they can find it. But all you got to do is, is profile, uh, go on Google or Yahoo or your favorite search engine and search on my name and medium.com and, and, uh, they should, the, the articles should pop up. So you weren't ready for this question. At least I didn't, pre I didn't prepare you for it, but I think you can answer it because uh, you can pretty much answer anything. <laughs> so I'm putting you on the spot. So what if, um, what if a parent has an issue that they're concerned about with their, um, one of their kids think contemplating suicide? Um, do they reach out to direct primary care physician now, even though they don't have a relationship with it or what, with them, or what do they do? That's a great question. And, and the sad part is most of them are going to be in the old system. Right. I would, I mean, first of all, there are, there are uh, resources for families. And again, you can find the CDC has a lot of good info. Um, the Jason Foundation is another contact point. Um, but you can, you can go in and, and, and just Google suicide prevention family, uh, and you'll find, you know, good links. But, yeah, you, if, if, you're, if you're that far along the timeline, yes, a direct, if you seek out a direct primary care physician, go in and talk to them. Uh, and they'll have the time to at least start to address some of the issues. But again, they're they're coming in a little late in the game, right. so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily uh, expect miracles from that. I think the real power comes from further back in the the timeline. But if they're the, the one of the best things they can do is is talk to a primary care doc, and you can also uh, there are suicide prevention hotlines that you can certainly dial them, and they'll give you resources. But yes, if you can find a direct primary care doctor close by, it would be worth going in and seeing them, discussing the situation, and let them guide the, the next steps. They may say exactly the same thing, or they say, no, bring them in, let's talk. And, and, and I'll talk privately with them to, you know, to see where they're at. But um, my guess is that 
educated guess is that they're probably going to um, they're probably going to get uh, they're probably going to have you see some uh, counselors, suicide prevention type counseling, rather than just direct primary care. So as good as as good as direct primary care is, and and funny thing, I had a conversation with Dr. Jeff Gold uh, last week, and he's at Marble. He's a DPC doc out of Marblehead, Fat, uh, Massachusetts, and Jeff told me, you know, I look at primary care as mental health. They're the same thing. And, and direct primary care is how you enable that. And that's the way it used to be when you think about it. So yeah, I mean, I, yes, is there, is there value in, in going to see a, a DPC doc? Yes, because you'll probably get in to see them quicker. Yeah. <laughs> the second part of that is they, they can definitely steer you in the right direction and they may say, yeah, I think your, your next step is this, or yeah, I wanna talk to him or her. Let's, let's bring them in and we'll do a checkup. And in part of that checkup, let's start the conversation. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't dismiss it. I would certainly try. But again, it's also how far along are they? Right. And they, they, you know? they need to start a relationship as early as possible. And it's, ne and it's never too late. True. It's a good place to start. But again, you're going to have a medical professional, a trained medical observer that's helping you and guiding you through this. And, you know, it's up to you as a parent or as a friend even. And a lot of my, my, my nephew's friends uh, were saying, God, I wish there was more, you know, I could do. I wish I could do more. I wish I could have seen this. Right. Well, educate yourself and you will. Yeah, we had a DPC doctor on our podcast a little over a year ago out of Oregon. And she kind of... She, um, I wouldn't say specializes in suicide prevention, but she, it was a very, very good learning experience for me. I learned a lot from her about how to word things and how to question things and the questions to ask. And, and, um, you know, if you're looking for the right things, it's, you know, and, and, and you word it the right way, um, it goes along a lot better. And so that was a very, very good podcast. Um, who is, who is, can I ask who the guest was? Yeah, let me, I can't pronounce her last name without looking. So let me look. Um, Laura. Oh, okay. Laura. I was thinking it might've been Pamela Weibel, Dr. Pam Weibel, the physician's guardian angel. Oh, she, oh. she's a great person to, to talk to about physician suicide. Yeah, no, Dr. Laura Pinavaria. If you want to hmm. Google that in our, or look in our YouTube site, it'll be up there. Um, for that podcast, Pinavaria, P-E-N-N-A-V-A-R-I. She's out of Bend, Oregon, and it was a great, great podcast. I, I learned a lot. That's one thing I love about our our podcast is that I learn just as much as our listeners and viewers do. I, alert, I get to meet great people like yourself and oh, learn a you. lot of, you know, take some wisdom away from you. <laughs> well, I'm happy to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. So as we wind this podcast up, Hunter, um, tell our listeners and viewers what you have a passion for. Well, let's start with the obvious, which is direct primary care uh, and, and enabling direct primary care for the masses. And I look at it even bigger, which is uh, direct primary care is making inroads down here in Panama. 
probably because there are a lot of doctors trained in the U.S., so they hear, they're starting to hear about it. Outside of the profession, if you will, and healthcare, uh, there's auto racing. I've, always, I've been a long time auto racing fan, enjoyed it so much. And uh, I, I, I enjoy watches, I enjoy collecting watches, and I, I enjoy technology, but I, I enjoy what I'm doing right now. It's a, it is definitely a passion. And uh, when you live your passion, you're, you're in a good zone. And the book has been a big part of that, that passion for quite some time. And now that it's published, it's like, okay, good. <laughs> well, yeah, it's obvious. Um, you're very happy where you're at. Uh, I love it. I love you living life and loving life. And I will tell you, I, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm living in my passion. And when you live your passion, it's like you love life. You don't even feel like you're going to work. I mean, so... It's a, uh, it's really, really rewarding. So I, I, I suggest everybody find out what their passion is so they can live that. Absolutely. So we'll have to talk about cars and, 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 and watches off, off air sometime. Okay. <laughs> that might be a long conversation. I know. That's okay. <laughs> I know you like cars too. Yeah. Gearhead anonymous. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, that about wraps up our podcast today. I thank you, Hunter. Um, it's always Thank a you. pleasure. We will definitely have you on again for another subject. Um, Thursday, tune in to our midweek podcast. We will have Dr. Amy Beard on our podcast. And she is going to be talking. She's a functional medicine doctor. She's been on our podcast before. She is going to be talking about breast implants and some of the complications that people can get from breast implants. So you don't want to miss out on that. 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time um, Thursday. Hunter, thank you for being on today. Listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham.